guys, welcome to episode two of the Don't Tell God podcast. My name is Alicia, and uh, if you're new to this podcast, let me just explain to you what this podcast is about. It's pretty much a podcast where I interview pastors and leaders, ask them a couple of questions, and really just give them a platform to be real and open about life and ministry. Now, on this episode, I interview Marbs Diaz, who is the Church Relationship Manager for Baptist World Aid. And in the 45 minutes that I chat to him, we really have a good conversation about life and ministry. He talks about his uh, passion to help those who are disadvantaged. He talks about how he makes disciples and how he makes leaders and really just talks about how he just loves Jesus. Now, before getting into this episode, let me encourage you to hit the subscribe button. So if you're on uh, iTunes or Google Podcasts or Spotify, please, please, please subscribe. The other thing is, please write a review. That would just help me and request some feedback and also get the word out uh, to those who potentially could like this podcast. Now, if you're on social media, follow me at Don't Tell God on Instagram, or if you're on Twitter, it's Don't Tell God One, and that is the number one at the end. So let's get into this episode and find out more about Marbs and his amazing ministry. Marbs, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. No, uh, thank you for um, saying yes and being here. And I'm excited because uh, mm. I've known you for, what probably about a year, maybe just over yeah, a year. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Through the Baptist conferences and yeah. then you spoke at our youth group via Zoom. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm excited to know a little bit more about. Uh, yourself and uh, you sent me a bit of information about you mm-hmm. in regards yeah. to your experience you've got about what 20 years experience yeah of yeah ministry? i can't believe it's been that long man but yeah. man you look like you're 20 <laughs> so. <laughs> um, but yes it's good so explain to um the audience more about yourself and sure. your role uh, from where you started as a youth pastor yep. to where you are today yeah sure and it is an absolute privilege to be a part of this and what you're trying to do, what you're aiming to do. And hopefully, like, like that's what I've been prayerful about today, is that it will be helpful. Mm. Um, there's a bunch of things we could talk about, but what I'm hoping for and prayerful for is that it's helpful, um, particularly for the leaders or people who are listening to this. And so, yeah, so when I started, um, you know, I grew up in the, in the Philippines, first 10 years of my life, formative years of my life. And my mom was a Christian, my, my dad wasn't. Uh, and so my mom was very... Uh, she was, like I always say, she was the first Bible that I read. So before sure. I could even read, she was the one demonstrating what, what faithfulness, what resilience, what love looks like. And so that I really took to that. Uh, and I remember from a young kid, I remember as a four-year-old, I, I remember saying, oh, I just want to make everyone a Christian, you know? Like, <laughs> my mom wanted me to become a doctor. Um, and I was like, I'm going to operate on everyone, make them Christian. Uh, obviously, that's not uh, possible. But I, so there was just... I remember a zeal towards who Jesus was and, and wanting to serve him since I was young. And I, I have to credit a lot of that to my mom and her kind of disciple making. Mm. Uh, and so it wasn't until we, we came to Australia, I was 10 years old, moved to Melbourne first, then to Sydney. Um, and then I decided to become a, a pastor. The funny thing was, I actually wanted to become a worship pastor. Um, oh, so you were very specific. Yeah, I'm very past- specific. Because like, <laughs> I, I enjoyed worship. Like, I could okay. spend hours just worshiping God. Um, and I felt like being a pastor was too full on. So I felt like this was a fun pastor. <laughs> and back then it was a cool thing yeah. to have a worship pastor. So I said, oh, I'm going to... Are you actually musically gifted? Like, uh, you... Gifted is debatable, but <laughs> yes, I can play the guitar. Okay. Um, and so that's something that I wanted to do. But I was in Melbourne at the time. And so I applied for the Anglican College then, the Ridley College. Yeah. I got in. Right. 
Um, but when I came back here to Sydney, because uh, I was studying biological science there when I decided to go into ministry, when I came back to say goodbye to everyone here, I, you know, I spent time with my high school friends, which was on a Christian school, um, spent time with my family who were away from God, uh, away from church as well. And so I just felt like God really drew me back here. Um, and so I decided to stop Ridley and then move back here instead. So you came back here to say goodbye, but you, <laughs> you never left. Is that no, right? Oh, no, wow. that's right. And God like absolutely changed my mind. And you know, it's one of those times where you're like, is this you, God? Like, yeah. or, or is this just my heart wanting to stay? You know. And so there, there was that process of saying, all right, I'm going to step out in faith and say this is you. Uh, and, you know, as someone who was young and still trying to work out his faith and, and his call, I said, can you please give me a sign? <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Like, Gideon, give me a sign. Um, and did a couple he give of, you one? He did. <laughs> oh, okay. He was faithful enough to give it. Um, and I think he understood my maturity at that time. Yeah. And he, like a couple of days later, literally the youth pastor of the church I was at um, decided to leave. Um, and he turned to me and my friend and said, I want to give the youth ministry to you guys. Wow. You know, so I felt like at the start, I felt more like a default pastor. Yeah. Like uh, something that I just kind of stumbled into, but happy, happy to serve God in that. So how, how old were you when this happened? We kind of just gave you the reins of this ministry. Yeah, I think I was, um, when I decided to become a pastor, I was like 20. Okay. Um, and at the, the time where I, I did the application, by the time I got to this time, it was, I was 21. Yeah. That's still very young. Mm. And, and so you, you sound like you're quite keen to become a pastor, like you were happy mm. Mm. Uh, to do it. What, you know, besides being the cool worshiper, at least you wanted to be the worship <laughs> pastor. What drew your attention to that? Like, why did you mm. want to become a pastor? Because I remember when I was younger, I didn't want to become a pastor. No. Even though people said to me, you'd be a good pastor. I'm like, stuff that. Don't yeah, worry about yeah. <laughs> And yeah, like uh, we, I've, I've talked to many young leaders now and say, how did you know? You know, as if God spoke to you from heaven yeah. or something. And it's, it's just not like that. No. Um, it, it is always a process. And it's a process of faithfulness and stepping into it one step at a time. I think like from, I remember hearing this from, from one of the preachers, he said, if God gave you the whole plan, there is some way in your immaturity to make it about yourself. You know, so what he does is he gives you one step at a time and sees whether you're faithful in that first step, in that second step, in that third step, rather than giving you the whole map to the whole thing, because then you'll make it about yourself and how yep. good you are. Um, so I remember hearing that as a young leader going, yep, all right, just give me the first step, God, yep. you know, like, and so for me, it was just like worship pastor. <laughs> um, and that was already a massive step. Because like I, I think I mentioned, I, I was doing biological science. Yeah. So I was on my path to becoming apparently a doctor. Yeah. Um, but God really, through a process of time, changed my mind on that. And so it was about the, this idea where all of my life, because we're all called, but the particular call that I was receiving, that all of my life, my seven days a week, was going to be devoted to helping, you know, not, not just the church, do churchy things, yeah. but helping uh, disciples being made in the church mm -hmm. and kind of giving my full attention to that. So that's what I felt God was calling me towards. And you felt that from a young age, like in 2021, you were like, yep, this is what I kind of knew or was that a gradual yeah. understanding, okay, maybe this is where God's calling me or my personal calling to life? Yeah, I would say it's, it's kind of both. It was both like, my human side was like, I don't want to be a leader. Um, okay. I, don't, I, don't, I actually don't want to. I was a reluctant leader. Um, but there was this strong sense that God was like, no, I want you to be a leader. Uh, and so for me, it was both. <clears throat> it was this 
Um, I remember there was this question that was posed at a disciple making conference that I was part of, and uh, and I was 19 at the time, so this was before I made the decision. Uh, and they said, <clears throat> if you were, if you had all the resources in the world, if you had all the resources of God, and He will answer your prayer, what do you want to do? And I just remember going, oh, I just want to serve Him. Yeah. Like if I I didn't have to think about money, I didn't have to think yeah. about jobs. I would just want to serve Him with all every minute of the day, um, and. I, that has to be compared with a life of, yes, following God, but because I was like, I was kind of a Sunday Christian during my teenage years. Yeah. It was like, I felt like I wasted my time during those years. And so I felt like, nah, I got to give it all. You know, I got to give my all to this. Um, and so it was a kind of contrast to that teenage life. I want to give all to him. And so I would say that I felt like, yep, yeah, all, but still this reluct- reluctance within my heart, yeah. like, I don't know if I'm good enough, God. Yeah. Okay. So how did you overcome that? Uh, because you're, how, long, sorry, how long were you a pastor for at this, you've passed slash pastor, how long were you a pastor there for? Oh, I was there for, uh, at that church, I was there for 11 years. Okay. Um, but three of those years, I was youth pastor and senior leader. And senior leader. Yeah, so yeah. pretty much just a boss. You know? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> just a young boss. <laughs> yeah, so, so how did you overcome that? Because you were saying that you were reluctant to be the leader. And obviously, like, yeah. how would you deal with that? I would say the first seven years of my ministry life, every year I would question it. So I you question your ministry? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, totally. Like, every year, <laughs> I can always almost pinpoint when it is. It's usually around January, February. <laughs> um, so after you've been reflecting on the year, you're thinking, yeah. and now you're thinking about the next year coming, you're like, God, am I, am I doing this right? Um, I, I, am I supposed to be the right person for this job? And you're just kind of asking all those questions. And then God seems to, again, very good, very gentle, kind of answering in different ways that, yep, this is, this is yours. Yep, this is you. Yep, you are my child. Yep, you. You know, so it's just like he's just, he was so good and gracious towards that time that even though I kept questioning who I was as a leader, he kept affirming me, affirming me, affirming me. And I remember probably six, seven years of doing that. After that, I just kind of stopped asking. Okay. Mm. Wow. One of the things that, you know, for myself, I've noticed is that you kind of have to have this balance of, okay, programs, Sundays, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and events. Uh, but you, you mentioned before about discipleship and that kind of seemed like mm-hmm. that was your, yeah. your, your passion. Yeah. So how did you, you uh, get that balance right, if you did get it right? Like, how yeah, did yeah. that work in regards to church and balancing discipleship, which we are called to do? But also program and events, which we're not really called to do, but that's the expectation anyway from yeah, churches. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and, and, and that's, we need to be clear about that, that um, events and programs do exist um, and they, are, they can be a measure of some sort of like uh, whether we're, we're in the right direction or not. But I would say where it gets kind of tricky is when you call discipleship, um, whether you define discipleship, I define discipleship as a way of life, right, in, the, in, the, in, in Jesus, a way of life in Jesus where when you define, define discipleship as a program, like a Bible study series or a sermon series or you know, alpha course or whatever, then that's when you've limited discipleship to a program, mm-hmm. to a event, to something, an activity that you do. But if you uh, frame discipleship, and I, I prefer the term disciple making, um, then it's much bigger. It's about this formation under the kingship of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus, which actually takes us our whole life to do. Um, And there is like ebbs and flows, ups and downs. 
and even times of valleys where you're just like, what is going on? Yeah. You know? So it's, it's learning how to be under this Lordship of Jesus through that process. And so uh, the way I was able to explain that to the youth group or to the people we were making disciples of in, in Jesus was I would say we were doing life together. So that captures kind of life, yeah. life in abundance, what that looks like, capacity, call, everything to, to, that goes with that. Doing, which means it's not this kind of stuck in your bubble, you're doing something about it, you're living out into the world, and together kind of capturing community that no, you can't actually do discipleship in a vacuum. It's done with people and you do it together and you're shaping and molding each other along the way. So it kind of goes against that discipleship as a, as a program like one-to-one -one only. That definitely can happen, um, yeah. but a lot of times, especially teenagers, a lot of the peers are, are involved in that process. Yeah. And so we have to trust that the Holy Spirit is within that, in, within that group um, and, and, and creating kind of intentionality about that. So, so for me, it was like shifting uh, more towards uh, reframing of what disciple making is. And it's more of a way of life and it's doing life together um, as a youth mm. group, as opposed to this is a discipleship series we're doing. You know? yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's, it's interesting because there's lots, if not hundreds of books on discipleship mm. or whatever. Well, I think Jesus makes it so simple. Like, I don't, I don't, mm. Maybe it's us that will make it so complicated or whatever. Like, mm. what, what would you say is the, the nutshell of discipleship making, as you, as you call it? Like, what would you say is like, look, this is it. Like, you, mm. you know, you can expand it a bit more, but sure. what would you say is the ABC of, of discipleship making? Yeah, I, I mean, mm, I would say, uh, let, let me capture it in a story. Yes, yeah, right. definitely. <clears throat> There, there was a time where probably seven years into the youth group <clears throat> that I was pastoring it, keeping in mind that we started with like 12, 13 people. And now by year six, year seven, we were pushing 100, right? Wow. Uh, we were um, actually starting to outnumber the whole church. Like we were more than the church. As a youth group? Was the youth group was a, yeah. Oh, man. And then one, and I was like, obviously you, you can be happy about that. Yeah. But there was this one time, and again, still a joyful moment, but I was just looking around and I remember like this kind of voice from Jesus, not an audible voice, but like this voice from, from the Spirit, like in my heart, in my mind, and kind of saying, who of these are mine? You know, and I remember thinking, like not in a judgmental way where Jesus was saying, who is in, who is out, I yeah. judge this person bad and good, more like, what kind of thing are you running here? Uh, is it about me, like making disciples of me, or are you just trying to draw crowds? Um, because it got to a point where you can, there is a science to bringing people in. There, there is a science to it, and you can figure out ways to bring people in, bring youth in. But in the end of the day, as youth groups, that's not what we're called to do. Mm. We're called to be making disciples. And so in a nutshell, I would say discipleship is a person or a group of people who is under the Lordship of Jesus. Now, that sounds really simple, but He is our King and He has a kingdom. And so that means we are not just following a king or uh, having an allegiance or surrendering ourselves to a king, but also to the way He operates in this world and to His kingdom, His kingship in this world. And so that means, uh, in a beautiful sense, the church, the youth group, we're like the, we're like the outpost of God's kingdom of, of heaven on earth. You know? And so it's like an invitation for the for youth to be, to be part of that, the young, young adults to be a part of that. So in a nutshell, that's what I would say. It's following a king who is King Jesus yeah. and under his kingship, his kingdom, 
his way of doing it in the world. And so that, that, that for me was, was a draw factor. Um, and, and what I tried to then shift um, during that time after year seven, I, I remember then we decreased our numbers you know, by, by almost 50% because wow. we, we changed the way we did things um, so that it's more intentional around disciple yeah. making. Right, that would have been a bit of a <clears throat> blow to your ego because you, you, know, you were saying bigger than church, mm. but then that realisation through the Holy Spirit saying, well, actually, how many are following me? Yeah. And then it sounds like you did listen to the Spirit, but then your numbers got cut in half. Yeah. Well, how did that affect you in a sense? Because we don't want to be about numbers, but unfortunately, as pastors, sometimes we are just drawn to numbers. Did that hurt you a bit? Or were you like, you know what, it's fine because I'm doing what God wants me to do? Yeah, it would. It, it did affect, um, uh, I'd, I'd lie if I didn't say, well, are we doing the right thing here? Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, obviously parents were very proud that their youth group was getting bigger and now it's getting smaller. But this was also around almost the same time, there was probably a year and a half transition that I then became the senior pastor of okay. this church. So then I was able to figure out ways to... Here, here was um, probably the bigger realisation for me. After year six, year seven, I was then thinking, well, I can't keep creating a healthy youth group if our church isn't healthy. Let, let me preface that by saying my first, that six years, that our first five years in the ministry, we've had six senior minister changes. Six? Six senior minister changes, including one where we had half a year of no pastor. And so, um, but the, the main thing that remained consistent throughout that time was the youth group. Yeah. And so they, it got to a point where I was like, I can't keep kind of sheltering the youth group from what's going on in the church, like all the, you know, the church politics and all those things and people not liking each other and, yeah. and, and things that, that, that humans do to each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so I was just like, we need a bigger systemic change yeah. in, our, in, the, in the life of our church. And so that's when a year later, like I, I also took on that role as a senior leader. Um, but you weren't doing senior leader and you've passed up? I was. Yeah. What? So in, in transitioning to disciple making, yeah. I made sure that I, I had three layers of leadership at that time. So okay. there was a leadership, there was a, like, a, like a creative group, I call them, and then the seed team, which is like a leadership farm yeah. um, of really, really young, young leaders and an and avenue for people to step into. So at that time, I've kind of created this, I shouldn't say I, sounds so arrogant, like, you know, like listening to God, yep. there was these three layers of leadership that, that, that we, we've done together as a youth group. And so in terms of leadership, in terms of running the youth group, that was all in place. And so my role actually was very much about oversight of the youth group, training of the leaders, those three layers, and then the three layers of the leaders were the ones taking care of the rest of the youth group. Um, they were the ones running the events. They were the ones doing a whole bunch of things. And wow. so my main role was to take care of the three, three tiers of leaders yeah. um, and making sure that they're continuing and growing and pushing. And my goal was then to push the top level of leadership into church leadership um, wow. and, and creating a, a platform for them to start exploring what that looks like, taking on a little bit more responsibility. And so... Um, that's the shift of disciple making. It meant that we needed to create not just a bunch of sheep, but also people who could lead um, and people who could not just um, make disciples, but make disciples that make disciples. Like it's a generational kind of impact that they're making. And so obviously we didn't do everything perfect, um, but we figured out kind of ways to do that. 
So even though it was a blow to my ego that numbers shrinked, it actually, like what I was really encouraged about was seeing all these young leaders rise up. And yeah. so until today, that church, like majority of their leaders now actually were from that youth group. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And what, as regards to leadership, what was the, probably the biggest struggle trying to create these leaders? Because I know sometimes you have leaders that, man, they're awesome. You wish you could multiply them by 100 because, yeah. you, know, you know, they're good, they're godly. You know, obviously they'll have their imperfections. But then you have leaders that are really like, you kind of think, man, are you really going to be a leader? But, you know, these guys or girls really want to become leaders. So how did you deal with the, the people who kind of like, oh, you know, you kind of have to develop a little bit more or, yeah. It's really, um, the trap is that you create disciples <clears throat> that, all, that all look the same. They're of the same. They're passionate about the same things. Yeah. Um, and if you know God, if you know his kingdom, if you know what's going on, what he, God has done, not only in the world today, but across history, is how he operates and empowers different giftings, different capacities for his purposes, yeah. right? And so I, I wanted to make sure that people understood that you become a, a Jesus Mobs or a Jesus Elysio or a Jesus this and a Jesus that. So you are unique in who you are, okay. but you are covered in who Jesus is. Um, so in the Jesus shape that he has was created you to be. Um, so that means, um, practically, that meant that, for example, one of my best leaders, I had to move him around three times, I think. Like, I put him in admin, he did all right. I put him here, he did okay. But I'm like, well, there's more to him, you know? And yeah. it's like, I had to move him around a few times. Is that because you wanted to um, uh, help him grow and yeah. stretch? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted him to feel fulfilled. Yeah. And by the time he got to the space that he wanted to be in, you could tell that he took ownership of it. And he started to have his own ideas. He started, like the Holy Spirit was doing his thing in, his, in that guy's life. Yeah. That it was, he was having his own creativity and own way of doing things. Yeah. Um, so very pastoral, very discipleship oriented, disciple making oriented. And so, you know, that, that's what he did. And then other people were more kind of towards the community. And, but together, we're all pushing towards this kingship, this kingdom. Yeah. You know, um, rather than having one direction and becoming this kind of deficient youth group where it's just pushing towards one area. Yeah. Um, you want to be able to do that. Now, obviously, as a leader, you need to be watching that, be prayerful about that, be really discerning and, and, and being wise about how you how far you let them push yep. and how That's far right. you can go. All right, like, let's talk about that. Why do you want to go that direction? Um, but you want to, you actually do want them to fail. You actually do want them to make mistakes. Um, you don't want to micromanage them, you know. So... Yeah, like, like that's all takes wisdom and guidance from the Holy Spirit. But yeah, that's yeah. that's what we were aiming to do. And so it sounds like, because uh, you were there for 11 years, so once you left uh, the church or the ministry, <coughs> these leaders kind of overtook or kind of took your role. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah. For some of them, yep, for, for yeah. a time. And then some of them were um, actually, you know, the third layer that I said, the C team. Yep. They're now the ones leading the church yeah awesome because some, some people did leave when I left yeah no, not necessarily because they because uh, of me but some of them left or went to other churches that's some right. of them are doing their own things so. yeah and that's just a natural thing but I think at least from my perspective what I can see is that you know you honoured God you did what God wanted you to do mm. and you know those 11 years sounds like it was very fruitful mm. um, so you're not pastoring at the moment no. uh, share with, with everyone you know, what do you do at the moment yeah, in regards yeah. to uh, life and career Yep, so uh, right now I am Church Relationship Manager for Baptist World Aid. 
uh, particularly here in New South Wales. And what that means is I have this privilege and honor to meet up with churches, church leaders like you, um, <clears throat> you know, other pastors and, and ministers, and kind of discuss ways of how I can, like Baptist World Aid can help, particularly in how they see um, global mission and what God is doing overseas, particularly in places where it's extreme poverty. Um, and so that's, that's kind of my role and kind of the joy I have. And so for me, I feel like my call, um, obviously before was a season in the church and, and season teaching, season this, season that. Um, and the current season that I'm in is kind of helping denomination kind of wide mm. in, in New South Wales, particularly with the Baptist churches. Um, not restricted to that, but primarily in that space. Uh, and yeah, so I've, I've been really enjoying that. So how, how did you get to that role? Because like, has that always been a passion of yours in regards to connecting with churches and missions? And was that yeah. your goal to one day work for organizations? Or yeah, how, how did you land this spot? Yeah, yeah, no, no goal at all about being in that. I didn't even know that role existed. Um, so it was even when I was pastoring that, at that church, I was at 11 years, and then I church planted and, and was pastor there for, I don't know, seven years. Um, and all the different things that I've done, we were, I was still part of um, doing stuff in spaces where it was extreme poverty. Because of the space that I grew up in, I felt like God really created this passion within me for that space as well. So um, I was already doing that as a pastor, making sure that I was connecting, particularly in the Philippines, but in different places as well. And so when, when, I, when I listened to God and, 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 said, and I felt God say, uh, me and my wife prayed about this for a while, um, I, we felt God say you need to rest from ministry like pastoral ministry for a little bit he didn't give me a time frame he, yeah. it was just a strong sense and so we said yep we'll do that uh, and the, the the heart behind the voice is because I want you for the long haul um, you know so rest for the long haul uh -huh. um, and so for six months I had it was pretty hard like I had no work uh, it was like I was just scrambling to try to find something, find a job. Like we were eating into our um, our savings and everything. We had to rely on our, our parents. Uh, it was pretty hard, especially with three kids. But, and that again, we get to that point where we're like, did I hear you right, God? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that you? Cause, um, so let me get this straight. So you, also, you were with your first church 11 years, then you church planted, yep. and you were there for how long, sorry? Seven years. Seven years. And then you just felt... You know what? God just wants me to rest. So from yeah. your identity, and maybe this is the wrong term, but I'm assuming identity of being a minister, a youth pastor, then God said, have a rest. And you're like, yeah, sweet, awesome. And then you're like, crap, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have no job, like, and I can see the doubts. Like, did you suffer in regards to your identity as well as, as a Christian? Yeah, totally. Okay. Especially because you, you know, I entered into it as a young person. I said yes at 20. And um, so all my professional career has been pastoral, wow. you know, so in the church world. Um, so when God says rest, it's not like I took six months before I stepped down, I was still working as a church pastor. I was looking, but then the time came when I had to stop. To leave. And then there was another six months. It was a year of looking, you know what I mean? It was a year of trying to find what kind of job. And, and I had, I had my, like, my prayers that... God wants me to be in this particular space where it's yeah. still my, my, my passion is still for the local church yeah. but my passion is also for those in extreme poverty and, and or even social work like like pay, because of my background it, you know places where it's it's a bit rougher it's a bit harder and that's that's where I felt cold so I kind of just kept praying about that for a year um, and it literally got to the last week 
where I was like, all right, like maybe God just wants me to work. And so I like, you know, we were at the end of it. And so I applied, I actually signed up to an agency, just do factory jobs, you know, yeah. and there's nothing wrong with that. But I just said, you know, this was my ideal at the top where yeah, yeah. pastoral, uh, like church, local church still, but not pastor and, you know, extreme poverty or social work, he kind of merge of that. Like, I don't know what that role looks like. And so I was praying about that and I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's not it. Maybe I was not hearing well. And so I signed up to an agency. I was getting job offers to work in a factory. Yeah. And that week, literally that week, this straw came up. No <laughs> yeah, It's one of those things. And so I'm like, oh, maybe. And it's not like I hadn't been applying. I've been applying for different agencies and different things. It just definitely so came just up. Just nothing came up. I was always second in job interviews or whatever. And, and so I was just like, oh, this is a bit of a blow to my ego. Yeah. Did I hear you right, God? Uh, but in the end of the day, I, I got to that space and then I got this. So I applied. I didn't think I would. Well, I wasn't sure whether I was going to get it. Yeah. And then I got it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that, that would be definitely a test of, of your faith. Um, and trusting God. Yeah, yeah. And, and totally. And, and to your original question, 18 years of pastoral ministry. So then you think about, what am I good for after this? Like, I, this is what I worked hard for. This is my skill set. This is my yep. training. Am I supposed to just jump to another kind of skill set? Like, it, it, was, it was pretty tough. Yeah. And like, even for myself, I kind of think, man, you've had, what, uh, you know, years of experience <clears throat> as youth pastor, as senior pastor, church planter, you, you know, you're kind of like the perfect guy because you have all this experience, mm-hmm. 18 years, and then God says, have a break. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know how I would act if I felt God saying that. Like, that's, that's yeah. pretty scary. But God is faithful. Like, you know, yeah, he's led he you is. to this job uh, in regards to Baptist World Aid. Mm-hmm. And um, tell us a little bit more in regards to what Baptist World Aid is, is about. You know, Baptist World Aid, again, it operates uh, across the world, <clears throat> but we, we are very focused in terms of places, countries that are in extreme poverty, so communities that are in extreme poverty. Um, you know, you get, you, you hear that word thrown out a lot. Um, maybe I can kind of help people understand it in this way. Um, you, you're going to have to use your imagination if you're listening to this. So if, if you can imagine toilet paper right in the middle, right? <laughs> right in the middle. And then think of concentric circles around it, like, you know, five or so. Um, let, let's say ten. All right. So um, if you can imagine the to- toilet paper right in the middle, um, and then during when, when a need hit, we, we, we all had access to it. We could go to the to shops. Yeah. Like if we need toilet paper right now, we can reach out our hands. So we would be in the first circle because we have easy access to that toilet paper. During COVID, it felt like we were in the second layer of, of the circle because we, it was like a little bit more distant. We had to wait a little bit more for the trucks to come in yeah. and to load the supplies. And then we had to, you know, listen. Um, well, imagine that uh, us in, this, in, 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 in Australia, we live in that first and second layer of access to things. Um, access to the gospel, access to a church, access to help from the government, access to a whole bunch of things, uh, access to toilet paper. Um, those in extreme poverty aren't just in circle three. They're in circle 10. You know, wow. they're, they're in circle 12. And so it takes them much longer. Um, there are so many more barriers that get in the way. Um, governments aren't helping them. And that's why I say extreme poverty. Because I, I hear a lot when people say, oh, we have poverty here in Australia. Yeah, we do. But people are in circle two, circle three, circle four. Like they can still have access if, if people were loving enough to help them yeah. um, and, and, and they get illuminated that there, there is that access. 
but these guys, the space the Baptist World Aid works in, are in Circle 12. You know, so they, they, they're so far away from it. And so, from our perspective, that's what Jesus was doing. In terms of the gospel, what Jesus was doing was, he was going to the marginalized, the vulnerable, those in Circle 12. And he is saying the good news of the kingdom is to the poor, to the vulnerable, to the marginalized. It's not just for the people right in Circle 1, it's for you as well. You know? So yeah, it is for Circle 1, but it's for you as well. But at the moment, the bad news that they're hearing is that you can't even get to Circle 1. And so for us, our, our mandate has been like getting to those spaces and letting them know that there is hope in Jesus. And that's why we partner with Christian brothers and sisters overseas um, in those spaces. Uh, and we make sure that they know that we are followers of Jesus, and that's that's why we do this. But we do so in a respectful way, mm. especially if they have a different belief system, different religion. Um, we, we just make sure that we show the love of Jesus in those spaces. That's why I'm so passionate about it. Because I grew up, um, like I said to you, in Cebu City, it was a red light district. you know. And when, when God opened my eyes to that, I realized that a lot of those women were being trafficked from, from, from the provinces, from their country. Um, and, and they were being tricked into coming. And then my question was, where is Jesus here? I don't see him here. Um, and then I, I connected with the local church and realized God was at work there. Even in a dark space like that, God is still at work. So that's why I'm so passionate about it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And so, but what, what do you say to those who, I don't know, I wouldn't say put a blind eye to it, but who does kind of like, oh, God will take care of it. It's, it's fine. And they don't really think, like, I'm talking about Christians here, who don't really think about those in Circle 12. Yeah. Like, do you think every Christian should be thinking about those people? Or do you think maybe only certain people are certain gifted? Like, yeah, how, how do you deal with yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Like, short answer, yes. Yes, As, everyone should be thinking about it. Okay. Everyone should be thinking about it. Because, um, we, because if the kingdom, if the church is the outpost of the kingdom, if the church is the, the, of, of the outposts as in the heaven breaking into this world, then we need to be all thinking about it. Um, there is a reason why in Matthew 25, for example, there's many passages, but Matthew 25, for example, Jesus says to the sheep and the goats, um, and then he says to the sheep, you know, you, know, you fed me, you clothed me, you take care of me. And then the, the Christians there, the righteous ones that they were called, they were like, what? We, we don't remember you there. We remember feeding the poor, we remember visiting people in prison, helping the sick. We don't remember seeing you there. And then Jesus says, whatever you did for them, you did for me. Because one, Jesus is already there doing it. And two, um, <clears throat> that is what, king, uh, what his kingdom looks like. Yeah. And so from their perspective, they were just being who they were as people of the kingdom. Um, and so they were all there. Because if everyone in Circle 12 is in, then everyone is in 10, 11, Nine, eight, yeah. seven, they're all in. They all have access to the gospel. They all have access to the good news. They all have access to things. If circle 12 people are in, everyone is in. That's why Jesus spent a lot of time in those vulnerable, marginalized spaces because he wants everyone to know the good news, that everyone is included. And that's why the people of Jesus, and I'm not just saying this as someone who just believes it. I've seen it in yeah. church history. In church, I've seen it today and I've seen it in church history. That's what we've been known for. Whenever there is the big plagues, pandemics around the world, the Christians are the that's ones true. always there serving. They're the most that's resilient. Right. They're the most caring. Not because they're so good as a human being, but because they're driven by this, this gospel that brings good news to everybody. Now, Mums, one of the things that um, you know, I love about you is you, only, you don't only talk the talk, you walk the walk. Mm. And uh, something that I've noticed on Facebook, because we're, we're friends on Facebook, is that, I, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago, you... Mm. you 
he did this thing where uh, for your 40th, and I, I'm going to say it again, mate, you do not look 40, but, you know, for your 40th, um, for your birthday, you, you know, uh, you didn't organize a, a dinner or, you, you know, ask for money or whatever, but you did something different where you wanted to raise money for refugees. Mm. Uh, can you explain a little bit more about that and why you decided to do it? Because I'm sure it wasn't because of your ego. <laughs> I'm sure there was, a, there was a reason behind it. I, I particularly think about times when our culture, and maybe this is the youth pastor in me, yeah. times in our culture where they create rites of passage for people, but for unkingdom things. Um, you know, people turn 18, oh, what's that about for teenagers? Oh, let's get drunk and yeah. whatever, right? What does 21 mean? What does 16 mean? What does 13 mean? Um, and so, it, you know, the youth pastor in me back in the youth days, I've turned that around. We, we created different rituals or rites of passage for people to instead talk and affirm kingdom things in their mm. lives. And so I wanted to make sure that that's true for my life as well. And so for my 30th, I did that. For my 40th, I did that because last year I was in Lebanon and I got to see the work of our partners there with Baptist World Aid. And just brilliant, brilliant brothers and sisters in Christ. I just, I, I can't, um, yeah, I, you know, sing their praises more um, because they're, they're, they're so awesome. And so one of the things that I really, re I, I was really, impacted by our brothers and sisters there is their bravery, their courage, their courage to dream in, in, this, in, this, in a space of absolute poverty, one and a half million Syrian refugees. They were once enemies, now they're the Lebanese Christians are the ones kind of helping them out and making sure they're welcomed and loved. But for me, that is the, the courage to dream and the courage to step into who they were called to be. Um, because, you know, it's easy to then go, uh, when you go into those spaces, you, it's easy to go, ah, oh, why can't Australia be like that? Yeah. Mm. Um, but I'd rather be part of the solution. And so I, I, I remember that's one of the main things that I learned. And I said, I'm going to bring that back. I want to bring back courage um, in, in whatever small way. And so for me, I, what I wanted to do for my 40th <clears throat> was walk 100 kilometers or around 100 kilometers. But the reason behind that was that the courage of the people that I know from Syria who walk hundreds of kilometers across a mountain. Um, sometimes a lot of those women were carrying their own babies, their own children. Um, they talked about, you know, having all these kind of splinters and things on their feet. Meanwhile, I'm going to have hiking shoes probably. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just a little bit of courage. And, and so for me, I was like, I'm going to be courageous. The most I've ever raised was personally, individually, was probably, I don't know, a few hundred dollars. Yeah. So I said, that's it. I'm going to be courageous. I aim for $4,000 yeah. know, for my 40th birthday, yeah. for $4,000. Um, and, and people responded. And so I just committed to doing a weekly awareness of what's going on with refugees there. And then just humbly asking, if you want to sponsor me, sponsor me yeah. um, to do this walk. Uh, and ended up almost doubling, like, I forgot, it was around 7000 Wow. Dollars, That's uh, awesome. So, so you're going to double the kilometers? <laughs> 200? <laughs> I'm going to walk two mountains. <laughs> wow, yeah. yeah. So that, and, and I involved my whole family in that. I involved my children in that. I asked them to pray for it. I asked them to share it with uncle and auntie. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, just, just making sure that it's at the forefront of their minds. And I always explain why we do it, why I'm doing this, you know. And so in a, in a, in a culture that, talks about birthdays as if you're the most important thing in the world yeah um and it's all about you and you get all these presents i just i just wanted to make sure that there is an alternative and kind of one that again this sounds arrogant but like it mirrors jesus i want to yeah. mirror, i wanted to mirror my lord and my king you know uh, and and the way he did things so yeah and 
you know, and I can see how you working uh, with or going, you know, overseas, working with the marginalised has kind of created this passion um, in you. What do you think we can learn? Like, I, I know it's two different cultures, you know, if we talk about you know, overseas and mm. you can't just bring whatever, you know, their thinking is to here because mm. we turn different. But what do you think as, as Christians, we should really be like, hey man, these guys, they've got nothing mm. and they're, they're, you know, doing really well. Like, what, what's a couple of things that we can improve on as generally as Christians here? Sure, sure. I, I would say one would be what do we do and this is specific to Christians here in Australia, yeah. in the West. Um, what do we do with our privilege? What do we do with our freedom? And so with the freedom that we have in Jesus, the privilege that we have living in the West that's quite secure, <clears throat> quite well off, what do we do with that? No need to feel guilty about it. I know you can feel guilty that everyone, you happen to win the lottery and you, you happen to be here in Australia doing so well. No need to feel guilty about it. But what do you do with it? Um, are you going to use it for yourself? Are you going to use it just for you and your family? Or are you going to use it, that privilege and that freedom for others? Um, because of what I know of Jesus, he always used it for others. Um, he, he was a king. He, he had royalty, but he shed his royal robes, got, down, got off that throne, and came to us to the point of being a servant, even suffering death on the cross. So, you know, for me, that's, that's the kind of, what do we do with our privilege? What do we do with, with our freedom? Well... I, I really want people to be thinking about that. Don't feel guilty about it, but use it. Use yeah. it for, for, for God's kingdom. So that's one. The second one that I really want to say, I hope you kind of heard a little bit as well, is how do you listen? How do you listen to Jesus? How do you listen to the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Um, people are going to say, yeah, I've got the Bible. All right, yeah, Bible is good. And apart from the Bible, like, you know, don't get me wrong, Bible is awesome. But apart from that, the Bible's not going to tell you, go get this job. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So apart from the Bible, how do you listen? How do you make decisions? How do you make choices? Because that is really important. Now, it can't all just be based on you. Obviously, there has to be wise counsel and everything. I'll give you an example just in case you're listening to this and going, what are you talking yeah. about? Uh, an example, one of the key ways that God listens to me, uh, I listen to God, sorry, is through music. I just spend immersing myself in music, like I'm playing the guitar, just random things. And oh, a lot of the times as well, I would do it if I really need to listen to God. I would do it by the beach. For some reason, the beach is like this thin space between heaven and earth. And I, I get yeah. to... And I, obviously, I can't have people running around me or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But it's a space where I could, I could hear God a lot better. Um, it, it's, it's silly for us to think that, that God in His ultimate sovereignty and multi-dimension only speaks in audible language or something. Um, he speaks to us in so many different ways. And so we, we have to make sure that we take that, how are we listening? But yeah. making sure that of what we know of scripture, is it Jesus-shaped what we're hearing? Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's not like you're going to say, oh, God just wants me to be selfish. Well, that's not Jesus-shaped. It doesn't, yeah. doesn't fit according to scripture, according to God's word. So, but the important thing that I guess I want to highlight is how are you listening? Yeah. Um, because that's, that's when God is really trying to guide you because he's good. He's a good father. He wants yeah. good things. He wants you to be on the right path. He wants you to be stepping into your call. He, like, he absolutely wants it. He is your child. Uh, he, you are his child. He's a good father. It's more about are we listening. So what would you say to, uh, to those who, you know, are, are trying to listen to God? Mm. Um, 
and I'm just confused. Uh, you mentioned this before, and I, I've certainly got it where you kind of have the crossroads. Crossroads. You don't know. You know if you go if you do. Plan A looks good. Plan B looks good. You think God's potentially calling you to Bible college or calling you to a specific role. In your years of experience, has it been something where you like, okay, every single time this happens, I do this, I do that? Or do you, yeah, like, or is there something else that uh, people can do? Or maybe we're all unique and God will just work in different ways. You just kind of, kind of trust the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have to be careful here because yes, God, um, we are all different. <clears throat> But I guess um, I want to be helpful with what I'm sharing yeah. tonight, uh, well, right now. And so for me, I would say that <clears throat> one of the rules that I have, um, that I impose on myself, but in my disciple making, I also tell other people when they're making a decision, especially an important one, <clears throat> do not make a decision when you don't feel that you are listening. And I know that it sounds really simple, but most people make decisions based on, I really feel like I need to do this. It's more of an emotion. Yeah, emotion. And God does use emotion. Yeah. Don't, don't get me wrong. Um, that's part of who we are as human beings, but very emotive in, in that. And therefore, that can be manipulated. <clears throat> and you can make your decisions appear holy or spiritual. Spiritual. And so I would ask, when you're about to make this big choice that you're about to make, do you know, can you be honest with yourself that you have spent time with God? You have spent time with godly, wise people? Um, and, ask, and ask them, ask them about it. Uh, especially with uh, teenagers and the young adults, have you talked to your youth leaders about this? You know, um, because sometimes we we know it's not the right decision when you're like trying to hide it from your youth leader. Yeah. Uh, and I've experienced that a lot. Like, when, oh, why did you talk to me about this? Oh, I did. Yeah. Like they're scared to say. Yeah. Or oh, when they say it, they try and justify it of why it's all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So for me, it's it's like. Uh, that's one of my rules. Don't make a choice or a decision if you haven't spent time, obviously praying, but spent time listening um, to God, and then after after that, listening to wise and godly people as well, as you kind of feed that back to them, and and obviously spending time in God's mm-hmm. word. Uh, yeah, the, 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 those would be my kind of key key things that I. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. You know, nothing nothing really good happens when you make a rush decision, and you know, talking to people, praying. Uh, seeking scripture I think that will help Mabs thank you so much for coming on the show I Thanks, appreciate bro. it and uh, all the best for uh, Baptist World Aid and, and what you do Thanks bro it was a privilege Well I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Mabs as much as I did Now for myself it was actually really good to know more about Mabs' journey and his passion in discipling others and helping those who are disadvantaged and also in poverty Now before I finish I actually want to share two things that really struck with me in this interview Number one, it was actually seeing Mab's faithfulness to God and also his church. We all know that ministry can be up and down and, you know, ministry and churches aren't perfect. And it was so interesting to see how in Mab's early years, there was a lot of things happening, yet he stayed committed, knowing that he was called to serve his people and obviously, you know, that church for that season. Now, the second thing that really struck me was his zeal in helping those who live in extreme poverty. And that's something that... You know, I don't think we can ignore the fact that he challenged us to think about those in poverty and not so much only those in poverty, but in extreme poverty overseas, especially. And that's something that we need to pray about and think about. 
Now, in the next episode, um, I'm really excited to announce this, but I've actually got Martin Garcia, who is the World of Life Australian Director. And in that episode, Martin opens up the challenges he's had to overcome in life, being called to ministry at the age of 16, and also dealing with the hardship of his own kids moving away from the Christian faith. Now, if you really enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, write a review, and also share it with others. Thanks so much for listening, guys. I'll catch you next time.